Good morning, my name's Julia. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let me pray for us. I think we need prayer. (laughs) Loving Father, Almighty God, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you for your grace to us in so very many ways, most of all through Jesus. Help us to clear our minds of distractions, focus on your word to us, all of us. Grow us to be uh, the church you want us to be, to live the way you want us to live. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're thinking about church. We're thinking about being committed to Grace Anglican Churches. Um, Obviously, we have a special focus on Gledswood Hills, but we are part of a broader parish. We want to see the whole parish grow. We want to see God's church across the world grow. Um, How do we do that? And I guess the question to ask first is, Are we supposed to want to grow our church? Uh, Are we supposed to want to grow in maturity? Are we supposed to want to grow in number? Or are we kind of happy with how it is? Should we just kind of, you know, it's pretty good, it's great. Just be content with what we've got. Do we really need to grow any further? Uh, It's awesome now. If it grows, it will change. Uh, Is that what we want to do? We're in the middle of our three-week vision series, which will culminate next week. MacArthur Anglican School uh, with Vision Sunday and we'll look at Ephesians 6 next week which will be great Um, and today we're looking at chapter 4 
But I want you to flick back in your Bibles just for a minute uh, to chapter 1. And again, you must have a Bible in your hands. If you're a follower of Jesus, when you're sitting in church, you must have a Bible in your hands uh, every time. We are people, we, as his sheep, we must be committed to listening to our shepherd's voice. And the way we listen to our shepherd's voice is by reading his word and hearing him speak. We should be doing this daily. And when we're in church, we should be hearing his voice directly. Um, What I say is not God's words. I explain God's words, but it's not God's words. This is God's word. It's alive and acting. The Holy Spirit is at work when we read the Bible. We must have a Bible in our hands every time when we sit in church. And I think we sorted that out a little while ago, so that's good. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, God did, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So we see what God is doing in the world. His eternal plan, God's eternal plan, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under the lordship of Jesus. That means all creatures, all people in full submission to Jesus' will. That's God's plan for the world that's been revealed to us in God's word and in Christ. That's the plan. That's the master plan. We know it. Now go to chapter 3 and look at verse 10. Chapter 3 and verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. They're big words, aren't they? They're bold statements. The centerpiece, the mechanism through which God is manifesting his wisdom and his purpose for the world is what? What's the mechanism? What's it through? Yell it out. The church. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ. Through the church. What's the church? You're the church. And I'm the church. We're the church. God's people gathered. We scatter each week, but we gather again. Theologically, we're seated in the heavenly realms, right? Spiritually, seated in the heavenly realms. We are gathered in Christ. God's people are the church. God's people in this room, God's people everywhere gathered across the school and the suburb and the world, across the ages, That's the church. And it's through the church that God is bringing people under the lordship of Jesus and maturing them to be more like Christ, more and more, until the day when he returns to take us and give our clothes in our new body that will be without sin. So we'll be like Christ. Church is not static. It's organic. It's a growing organism. And church isn't a place that you visit. You go to visit the church or the building 
I was in a really nice church on Monday, church building. I was at Waverley. I've been to Liverpool. I've been to Bondi. I've seen some really nice church buildings. That's cool. They keep the rain off and the wind out. That's nice. Um, but we are the church. The church isn't a place you visit. The church is you, God's people, gathered in his son around God's throne, gathered each week uh, to together praise him. We worship Jesus all week, not just when we gather. We worship Jesus all the time in, the, in living for him, in everything we do, in our work, in our parenting, in our friendshiping, in our sistering and brothering and sonning and daughtering. We worship Jesus in all that we do and we worship together on Sunday. We're the church. It makes sense then, if we're the church, to gather very often. If we're the body of Christ, it makes sense to be together often. It makes most sense to be together all the time. I don't know about you, but my arm doesn't ever kind of go off and do its own thing and leave my body behind and my leg goes out and leaves my body behind. My body's together all the time. It actually makes the most sense for the body of Christ to be permanently gathered. And one day we will. One day we'll be permanently gathered. That makes the most sense. In the first century, the Christians gathered every day, morning and night. They gathered. I don't know if that seems like a great thing to you or a scare, or a, not the great thing to you. Um, I love what church weekends away because we're kind of gathered the whole time for 48 hours or so. It's great. And that makes most sense if the church is a body of Christ that we're gathered all the time. It doesn't make sense to only gather once or twice a week. It's bonkers to only gather once a month or not gather at all. That's insane if we're the body of Christ. So God is working out his eternal purposes to reach all nations and bring them under the lordship of Christ and he's doing that through his people, the church. That's the mechanism for God achieving his purposes. Isn't that incredible? Us fallen, fallible, imperfect people who make mistakes, we're the mechanism for God bringing his glory to the world. There is nothing in our lives more significant and important than this, God working out his purposes through us in the world to see people gathered, saved, and to see saved people grow. That's the most significant thing, not the only significant thing, but the most significant thing that is happening in our lives and it's eternal work it has eternal consequences therefore all churches parts of jesus body seek to grow grow in number grow in maturity that is god's plan that we're working out as his church and we can't separate being godly from god's mission part of being godly and holy is god's mission to the world to preach the gospel and see people saved. We want to see our church grow because that's the godly thing to do. That's what God wants us doing. We want to see more people saved and we want to see saved people grow more and more each day until Christ returns. So the big question this morning, how? How do we do that? And there's three answers. Unity, ministry and maturity. That's three points on your outline if you want to take notes. I find that taking notes helps me focus and not get sleepy. It's pretty warm in here. If I was you, I'd be getting sleepy in five to ten minutes. But not if I was taking notes. <laughs> the answer from chapter four, which we're going to study now, 
How do we grow the church? Unity in ministry for maturity. Unity in ministry for maturity. That's how we grow the church. Look at verse 1 in your Bibles, chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul's in prison in Rome as he writes the letter to the Ephesus, to the Ephesian church. And he says, live the life you've been given to live by Jesus. You are saved. Live that saved life. You are seated in the heavenly realms. (coughs) So live as one seated in the heavenly realms. We are called up into the Godhead through faith in Jesus. In Christ, we are united to Father and Holy Spirit eternally. Paul says, live out that spiritual reality on earth as the church. Verse 2, how? Be completely humble and gentle. Humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be humble, be gentle, be patient. That's how we live out our spiritual reality. That's how we live out the unity that we have in the Godhead here in the world as a church. Be humble, be gentle, be patient. Hands up if you feel like you've really nailed all these three things, that you are totally humble, gentle and patient. I'm just wanting to see if anyone's actually failed at the first one, but no one has. (laughs) We're all somewhat humble at least. No one thinks I'm super humble. I'm the most humble person I know, in fact. Um, That's not humble. To be humble, um, I think I think we get humble wrong in our culture. I think, I think with I think we think humble means kind of pushing myself down, um, even criticizing myself, like just making less of myself, is what being humble means. It doesn't, uh, not at all. A good saying from C.S. Lewis is this: humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is, it's not thinking of yourself less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I think we're really good at self-deprecation in our culture. We criticise ourselves, we criticise one another. <clears throat> we're kind of uh, un-American in a bad way, in that sense. There's lots of ways that are good, we're un-American, but Americans are kind of good at building one another up and encouraging one another, great encouragers, to the point that it's kind of embarrassing sometimes. There's such good encouragers. Whereas we, we love to beat ourselves up and we love to criticise one another. And that's not godly and it's not humility. I think self-deprecation is actually comes from a place of pride and sinfulness. It's, it's negative pride. Um, it's the other end of the spectrum from kind of making more of yourself than you ought, making less of yourself than you ought, is a, is, is, comes from a place of pride as well. Humility is recognising that God has gifted you in lots of... God has given you good gifts. To say that I haven't... I'm not as good as, you know, I actually am, is to say God has been stingy to me and not blessed me in many ways. Well, reality is He has. And to deny that is to actually deny God's good gifts to you. It's to deny His kindness, which we don't want to do. Humility says... I've got good gifts, thank you God, I'm going to use them for the good of others. Who needs my help? Who can I help? Thinking of others and then using your gifts for others. Thanks to those last week who let me know they're keen to serve um, in different ways. Thanks to those here who serve in so many ways 
already, using your good gifts that God gave you for others. We all have good gifts. We're going to get to that. Humility celebrates other people's gifts as well. We're trying to teach our kids not to compete with each other, but to celebrate each other's gifts and skills. It's hard. It's hard to do. John actually told me about a father who used to, when he went to the petrol station, he got the three kids in the car, he'd buy one chocolate and he'd give one of his kids a chocolate. That just sounds like death on a leash. But he trained the kids to celebrate what others, what their siblings have and go, oh, you got the chocolate this week. Yay, that's great. You got the chocolate. It just seems like a parallel universe if that would happen. It's like, oh, I want a chocolate. They got one. It's not fair. Um, it's celebrating the gifts of others. I'm going to talk about you again, John. Sorry. Here you are. Um, it's saying, oh, wow, isn't John a great guitarist? And I'm not. Praise God. But what we do is we go, oh, isn't John a great guitarist? I wish I was a great guitarist. That's, that's back to me again. That's not humility. That's thinking about myself. I need to think of myself less. And the path away from thanking God for John being a good guitarist to me going, I wish I was, is to be grumpy that God hasn't made me a good guitarist. A God. Why didn't you make me a good guitarist? Um, rather than just praising others and being thankful, humility celebrates others' gifts and is thankful to God that we together can serve one another in different ways and serve God full stop. So humility, not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less and thinking about how you can praise God for others' gifts, praise and serve others with your gifts. Second, um, be gentle, not weak, gentle. Um, I want to talk about Lara and Andrew Simmons. Lara and Andrew Simmons are naturally gifted at being gentle. And many of you are very gifted at being gentle. I'm not gifted at being gentle. If you've known me for a while, I can see some people giggling, giggling, smiling. Um, I'm not naturally gentle. I have to pray about it and I have to work hard at being gentle because I know it's godly to be gentle. But I'm not naturally gentle. I do pray about it. And some of you have had first-hand experience with my roughness. And I apologise again. Um, humility says... Look at Andrew and Lara serving in children's ministry for the eighth year in a row. Praise God for them because they're gentle and they're good for the kids and maybe I'm not. Um, I've prayed and I've got two SRE classes and they seem to like me a, bit, a fair bit, so that's good. Um, one of my students is actually here today, which is nice. Two of my students are here. Three, perhaps. I don't know if Cisco's here. Is Cisco here today? Nicole and Olivia and Cisco are in my classes. Lovely. Gentleness is being kind. It's using your strength in a measured amount for the good of others. That's gentleness. And we used to church with a man named Owen Pollyblank. Polly, uh, he, was, he was a plumber. He was big, strong man. And when you shook his hand, you knew he could break every bone in your hand if he wanted to, but he didn't. He used his strength uh, in a measured amount. That's being gentle. Jesus was gentle, especially with women and children. Jesus had infinite power, but he was gentle with his people. He got frustrated with the Pharisees and even with Peter in Matthew 16, 23, when he said, get behind me, Satan. He had a hard word at times, but his general demeanour was gentleness. It's not optional. It's not optional for me, who tends not to be gentle naturally. It's not optional for any of us. We're called to be gentle with one another. Humble, gentle, patient. I haven't got time for patience. We're going to move on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, patience. 
Patience is long-suffering of the faults of others. Long-suffering of the faults of others. We are all spiritual works in progress, all of us. Me, you, all of us. We're a spiritual work in progress. None of us. We're all far from perfect. It's by grace that we're saved. None of us is entitled to our salvation in Christ. We're saved by grace. So we should remember that, and that will make us patient with others. If we're good at something, if we know something, it's only because God's been grace to us. Be patient. Remember to be more patient with those young in age or young in the faith. Humility, gentleness and patience, three qualities particularly rare in our culture. Very rare in our culture. We're trained, we're trained by our culture to self-promote, to be opinionated, to put yourself first, to get what you want, surround yourself with people who are going to Make you feel great about you so that you can get what you want. That's what our culture says, doesn't it? Stay away from people who are negative or are going to drag you down or are going to take away your energy. Surround yourself with people who give you energy so that you can get what you want for yourself. That's our culture. Aggressive, ambitious, especially for our kids. We're aggressive and ambitious for our kids too. For some reason, our three children pretty much exclusively like to when they're in a group swimming lesson and all the kids have to swim a lap they always go last i don't know why they always like to go last in the group and i've always thought why are you going last you know go first and you're faster than that kid and they humbly let others go first (laughs) and i get frustrated with that why it's great that they're letting others go first it used to bother me but not anymore it's good it's what jesus taught his disciples Did he not? Jesus taught his disciples to put others first, to consider others more important than yourself. I should have been praising our kids rather than getting frustrated. Our Western culture's arrogance and self-assertion is not something to be proud of. It's a sin that strangles the growth of a church because we end up pulling against one another in different directions rather than encouraging one another and building one another up. We are all one body in Christ and are called to all row in the same direction rather than pull at each other in different directions. Look at verse 4 in your Bible, chapter 4, verse 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you're called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. Therefore, let us be united as God's body, the church of God, as we already are in Christ, by being humble and gentle and patient with one another. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another's imperfections. Bearing with one another's failings and mistakes in grace and love. And we will have unity, even amidst great diversity. Point two, our unity is actually enriched by our diversity. We are diverse in our ages, in our stages, in our cultures, in our backgrounds, in our skills, in our abilities. We are diverse. And this, is, this enriches our fellowship. It doesn't break it down, contrary to what our world might say. Being different 
often leads to conflict and division in the world, but not in the church. Being different is a great gift of God, that he brings together people from all different backgrounds, from all walks of life brought together in Christ. And that is a great strength of the church. Paul goes on to say the church is thoroughly enriched by diversity and a diversity of giftedness. Now we come to these frightfully tricky verses in uh, verse 7 and verse 8. We've just learned that we're all united by God, but our unity, says Paul, is contrasted by our diversity of giftedness. We're united, but to each one of grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, it says. Let me read 7 and 8. Each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. It's a bit unusual, isn't it? Jesus has shown all of us grace and given all of us, his people, gifts. I can't be talking about saving grace because we haven't received different saving grace. We've received the same saving grace in Christ. This is talking about serving grace, different gifts for the purpose of serving. As I said before, I love the hustle and bustle of Sunday mornings and seeing everybody serve with all their different gifts and their varied gifts. Um, from 8 o'clock in the morning when the trailer's unpacked and the chairs are put out and the signs are put out and even when it's raining, the signs are put out. Bin liners are placed in the bins. Did you know someone does that? Someone puts bin liners in the bins. And for those of you who do the bins, thank you so much, unsung heroes of our church. So those bins are stinky when it's hot. Bin liners are put in and removed again after church, after morning tea. Um, kids' rooms are set up, bands practice. There's a small army of people exercising their diverse gifts together. And can I say, we honour them when we're ready for church in our seats at 9.30. We honour those people who've got here early and set up and practised and all that kind of thing when we're ready to go at 9.30. The unity in the church is a result of God's saving grace, but the diversity in the church is a result of God's serving grace. Verse 8 is quoting Psalm 68. And it's slightly different. Psalm 68, when you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people. Ephesians 4, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Who's the you and the he? Well, when God conquered Egypt and rescued his people, Psalm 68 verse 7, the psalm speaks of him ascending to his holy place to dwell. After his ascension from the dead, Jesus, after 40 days, ascended into heaven, to his holy place to dwell. So the subject of Psalm 68 is God and the subject of Ephesians 4 is Jesus, both God, when you, God, when he, Jesus, he's talking about God. Who are the captives then? Took many captives. Is he talking about Satan and the evil ones? No, it's not. Psalm 68, the Egyptians and the evil powers of the world aren't described as prisoners in the Bible so much as judged and destroyed and defeated. So the captives are who? Well, the captives are actually God's people. When a king conquered a, a, a land, he would take the people and the treasure, treasure, livestock and all that kind of thing, he would take the people as his captives. So in the Old Testament, God receives the gift of this captive people. In the New Testament... 
So this gift of God's... In the Old Testament, God takes the people for himself, Israel. They're his people. It's captives, in a good way. It's good to be captive by Christ. In the New Testament, God receives his people. He kind of captures his people through his blood on the cross. And what does he do with them? He gives them as a gift to the church and to the world. So Jesus captives are us and his gift to one another and the world is also us. We're the captives. And the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, as I read on, what does he ascended mean except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are particular captives named here in Ephesians chapter 4. They all have one thing in common. Can you tell me what it is? What do they all have in common? Someone brave. Sorry? Holy Spirit, yes, they do. They all have the Holy Spirit. And something else? What do they do for work? <laughs> they all speak God's word, don't they? Apostles have gone out into the world to speak God's prophets of old. Preach God's word, evangelists, tell people God's word, pastors, teachers. It's all God's word teachers. Their particular gift to God's church is those who teach God's word. Now this isn't exclusively this list of people. This can be all of us and this ought to be all of us. We serve each other in many and diverse ways as we've just discussed not just on Sunday, but all the time through the week. The most, most important way that we must continue to serve one another is speaking God's word to one another. Learning the Bible and speaking it into each other's lives. We do it clearly and explicitly on Sunday. We do it clearly and explicitly in growth groups. We do it more implicitly through the week when we call each other on the phone, we meet up at the park, we send each other encouraging text messages and those kinds of things. We use one another's God's word. God's word is what builds the church. So whatever gift you have, whether it be in singing or encouraging or coffee maker, evangelizing, preaching, accounting, sweeping, bin emptying, there's hundreds of gifts represented in this room and in our church. It's a gift given to you by God for the good of the church. Don't diminish your gift. Use it for the good of the church. And if you're not sure how to do that, talk to me and we'll work it out. How to use your gifts for the church, not just on Sunday, but all the time. So the question is not can you serve, but how can you serve? Thirdly and finally, we're united for the sake of serving together, that is doing ministry, for the purpose of maturity. Unity in ministry leads to Maturity, as we humbly, gently, patiently serve one another, we grow in maturity. 
We're called to maturity. Christian living and speaking, we need to take it seriously. We ought to be maturing. We ought to be more mature than we were five years ago. And in five years' time, we ought to be more mature than we are. We're supposed to grow. Paul draws a comparison between a child and a small boat tossed at sea in verse 14. A child can be more easily persuaded by people, can be led astray like a small boat in a storm by any wind of teaching. Hence, children need parents to guide them and to protect them. And can I say, parents, make sure you're protecting your children online. Please, protect your children online. Guard them against social media. Be right on top of everything they're looking at and listening to and watching and reading. Make sure you're protecting them. Protect them from pornography, particularly if they're boys. Get Covenant Eyes, get X-Watch onto their phones and their computers early to protect them from pornography. I would say when they're about 10 or 11. There's statistics to show that at least over half of early high schoolers have seen pornography. Protect our small boats from getting tossed around by this world. There are influences on social media trying to prey on our children. Please be vigilant and know what they're looking at and don't be afraid to say, I, I need full access to your phone and computer. That's okay. When they're young children, there's a time when they've become, you know, we can talk about that. There's wisdom there. Just be vigilant. Know what they're playing, know who they're talking to and err on the side of caution. We can be like kids too, can't we? We can get tossed backwards and forwards by any wind of teaching if we're not careful, by false teaching if we're not careful. Paul teaches us a way to guard ourselves against, against false teaching in verse 15 is to keep hearing God's word and speaking God's word to one another. Verse 15, instead of getting tossed around, speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. We, we speak God's word to one another, lovingly, encouragingly, to build one another up, even if it's hard and even if it's not popular. If it's God's word, we speak it to one another in truth and love to build one another up certainly from the pulpit, but also morning tea in growth group, texts, phone calls, Facebook messages, speak the truth, the gospel, the Bible to one another to build each other up. So naturally that means we need to be in good communication and know our Bibles in order to do that. And I can't help but go back to growth groups. If you're not in a growth group, get in a growth group. They're so good. They're so effective at building us up. And they're so effective at giving us an opportunity to build others up as well. God's word is powerful, alive and active, powered by the Holy Spirit, life-giving and life-changing. So what's that mean for us today? How do we grow the church? Gospel unity. Humility. Gentleness. Patience with one another will enable us to do ministry together. It'll give us a unity we need to serve together and to serve one another so that 
we will grow. It's a whole body effort. Like every good bodybuilder knows, us, Sean, every good bodybuilder knows, it's a whole body effort to build up your body. You've got to watch what you're putting in your mouth, what fuel you need God's word to fuel your body. You need to be exercising your spiritual muscles, serving one another. And you need a focused mind. And we have the Holy Spirit who's constantly pointing us back to God's word. It's a whole body effort. We can do our part in these ways. I'll give you a minute in just a moment to think about one or two of these top points that maybe there's room for growth for you. We need to keep meeting. We need to be a church and growth group every week. Unless we're sick or on holidays, we need to make that our number one priority. It makes sense for the body to meet together. We need to know God's word. That's our guide and our fuel for serving others and speaking God's word into others' lives. Know God's grace to you. Live in God's grace. Remember his grace to you. Find peace in that and encouragement. Speak God's word to others. How can you do that more? And I wonder, have you been convicted by one of these four things today? If so, take a moment now, a minute now, and then I'll pray for us. Maybe you want to jot something down on your phone or a piece of paper. Have you been convicted today? If you have, write it down. Say a quick, quiet prayer on your own if you want. I'll give you a minute. for me I am a bit of a perfectionist and I like to please other people that's not humble that's God's job to look after other people so when I'm criticised I can react not gently easily in my prideful endeavour to please people all the time so I'm convicted from Ephesians 4 to entrust people to God and to be humble and gentle and patient with others, especially my family. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for your grace to us that saved us from death and judgment. 
God, may we entrust our lives to you and see your great, great purpose for your church, which is us, in bringing all people under the Lordship of Christ. And may we be really committed to that. May that be central uh, to our lives. May our highest priority be to hear your word and then to be committed to gathering with your body and in doing so be humble with others, gentle with others, patient with others so that we'll find the unity to serve, to do ministry together, ministry to the lost world, ministry to one another so that we'll grow in Christ's likeness and our church, your church, will grow in maturity. Lord, work in us by your Holy Spirit. Convict us of these things, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.